But we can't stay inside and just tell each other the good news, as comfortable as that might be. When I was 17, my mother got saved. I wasn't saved. She was saved. My sister got saved, my little sister. And Mama began going to a Bible church where the Bible was taught seven days a week. Whenever they were together, buddy, they were preaching and teaching the Word of God, believe me. And she wanted me to go. I didn't want to go. I was lost. I liked the world. I liked sin. I liked all that stuff. I was 17. Last thing I wanted was holiness. Last thing I wanted to talk about and think about was going to heaven. I could care less about stuff like that. But she got me to go one Sunday. She kind of shamed me. She had no car. I had the only car. And, you know, you hate to see your mother walking to church in the rain. So, being the big man that I was, I patted myself on the back, and I drove Mama to church. And I remember sitting in that pew, <coughs> and lo and behold, this girl got up and stood behind the pulpit, and she sang that song, I'll Tell the World I'm a Christian. And I recognized her. She was one of my classmates in college and in, in high school. And I could not believe a teenager was standing, standing in church singing a song about being a Christian. It just didn't make sense to me. I never had seen that. And I never have forgotten that. And ever since then, every time I heard that song, I think about that girl. I'll never forget her. Standing there. Before God and everybody, telling the world she was a Christian. I thought she was crazy. I thought she was weird. But then about six months, a year later, guess what happened? I got weird. In fact, I got weirder. I became a preacher. That's real weird. By that, by that time, you know, we had graduated, she was gone, I didn't know where she was, and last year, they were having one of the anniversary of our high school graduation, and guess who sent me an email, her brother, David. And I sent him back, I said, David, where's your sister? And he said, well, she's so-and-so and so-and-so, and I said, you're not going to believe this, and I told him that story. I said, I've been wanting to tell her for 40 years. Seven years, thank you for singing that song and how it impacted me. And so he forwarded my email to her and she gave me back and said, thank you. It's always nice to know when you sing something, it touches somebody's heart. <laughs> I'll tell the world I'm a Christian. That's our mission. Now, if I felt better this morning, I was going to do a Tom Cruise thing. Dun, 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 dun. Just come running through here and hide behind the pew and jump over that, you know, and run up here, play a little thing where it says, you know, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to all the world and preach the gospel. I thought that might be pretty effective, but I wasn't feeling all that good, so I didn't do that.
You know, Mark really gives us the shortest version of the Great Commission. He says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That, I mean, that's cut and dried. Of course, the Apostle Matthew gives a much longer version. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have taught you, and behold, I am with you always, etc., etc. Luke is even longer than that. But John, who always seems to take a, another view, John kind of always thinks and writes outside the box. You ever notice that? That's why the, the, the John's gospel is so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's his perspective, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was there. He was a witness. But he kind of saw things a little bit differently. He definitely couched things a little bit differently. And I love his version of the Great Commission. Look what he says in chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive or take the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of many, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of many, they are retained. What's our mission? Our mission is to pick up where Jesus left off. We are sent on a mission. It's not so much that we are to go as we are being sent. We have been commissioned. We have been dispatched, we've been charged, we've been ordered, given a project, given an undertaking, we've been given a task, a duty, a job to do. We're sent on a mission. Keep your finger in John 20, but look over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 1 and 2. Luke writes this, the former account I made, O Theophilus, don't get all tied up in that, Theophilus was the guy that Luke was writing to, he wrote two books, he wrote the gospel of Luke to the same guy, Theophilus, it means lover of God, what a great name, I like that better than Jim. So he says, the former account, that is my first thing that I wrote, which was the gospel of Luke, 
the former account I made of all that Jesus, now notice this, all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. Now when it says, it doesn't say, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. No, no. It says, of all that Jesus began. Now, if somebody has begun to do something, that indicates to me they're not through. He just began. You see, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven, and he came to earth on a mission himself. And he tells us several times in the Gospels why he came. <coughs> now, I know he came to live a perfect life, die a sinless death, and rise again from the dead, shedding his blood for the sins of the world. He did that. But there were some other reasons he gave why he came. And he began to do a mission. And the mission continues, through whom do you think? Who is his body on earth? Who? Us. We are the, say it with me, the body of Christ. He's our living head. He is standing at the right hand of God the Father. He is the head of the church, the chief shepherd of the sheep. That's him. We are his sheep. We are his bride. We are his body. We are his hands and his feet, his heart, his mind, his mouth, his hands. We are his ministers. We are his ambassadors, Paul says. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are those he has sent out in, whom's, in whose heart God has shed abroad, poured out his love. And John goes on to say this in his first epistle. He says this, as he is, so are we in this world. Now let that sink into your ears. John says in 1 John 4, around verse 17, as he is, so are we in this world. We are children of the living God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He has imparted unto us his divine nature. When we are born again, we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself come into our hearts. He lives in us. And we are to go into the world and replicate his life. He said, I'm the light of the world. He also said that we to let our light shine before men. Take your Bible and turn to chapter 6 of John. Just flip back a few pages. Chapter 6. Look what he says in verse 38. He says, For I have come 
down from heaven. There's the incarnation. There's the first Christmas. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I came down from heaven, he said, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We are sent to do the will of the Father. Not our own will. Remember in John chapter 4 where he went through to Samaria, he met the Samaritan woman. And after he exposed her sins and her wickedness and her idolatry, he offered her that living water and she took it. And she went into the town and she brought back the whole town. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Is this not the Messiah? She went. She was sent. She went. She came back. She brought a congregation with her. <coughs> the disciples, they were off looking for lunch. And they brought some food. And they said, Master, let's eat. Come on. We got some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches here. We got some, you know, roast beef or whatever. You know what he said? John 4, 34, he said, I have meat to eat you don't know a thing about. I have food to eat that you have never tasted. And they looked at each other. These guys, God bless them, I love them. But they were a little thick sometimes, were they not? And James says, did you give them something to eat? And Peter said, I didn't give him anything. Did you feed him some food? No, I didn't feed him anything. And Jesus then had to get down, put the cookies on the lower shelf, and he said this, my food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's his satisfaction. That's his joy. That's his goal. That's his prayer. That's what he wanted to do. And what did he say? As the Father has sent me, what? So send I you. If we're going to go, the first thing, we've got to be committed to the will of God. For your life. Don't worry about the will of God for my life. Don't worry so much about the will of God about your neighbor's life. Think about your life. Especially young people. Are y'all young back there? I need new glasses. I think most of the young folks are back there. I'm going to say something. And I expect everybody over the age of 50 to holler out Amen. Young folks, you don't have any clue how quick it'll go from 15 to 50. Amen? Amen? Don't wait till you're 40 to figure out what God's will is for your life. Ask Him right now. Lord, I'm 14, I'm 15, I'm 20. What is your will for my life? I'll tell you one thing I learned many, many years ago. He's not going to show you his unrevealed will for you if you're not obeying his revealed will for you. 
Right? I know that's not a fun sermon to hear, and you'll probably tell Pastor Rick, don't let this guy preach anymore. It's not fun. No, if, if we are disregarding and neglecting the revealed will of God in the Word, he's not obligated to show you one thing about the unrevealed will of God. But I'll tell you this. If you'll be knocked down, dragged out, committed, dedicated, determined to do the revealed will of God, and you stay true to the written word, God will turn the world upside down to keep you in his will. You can't get out of it. And if you make a wrong decision about a job or a school, my God, who rules it all, will turn it all around and make it right for you. You can't make a mistake when you're dedicated and committed to doing the will of God. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, say it with me, so send I you. Take your Bible and turn to um, Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. I thought this was interesting. You know this story. <coughs> One of my favorite stories. Zacchaeus, one of my favorite people. Anybody know why? What? That's okay. I embrace myself. When you're short, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, the song says. I don't like that part. But you know the story about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector, which means <coughs> it was like being a Jew in Nazi Germany working for the Nazis. Is that not true? In the first century, to be a Jew working for Rome, he was not one of the favorite guys. He probably had bodyguards watching out for him. But Jesus looked up and saw him in that sycamore tree. He said, Zach, he has come down. I'm going to your house today. And he went down there, and they had lunch. And Zacchaeus believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he got saved. How do you get saved? How do you know he got saved? Well, because his life changed. When a man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. He was different on the inside. Still short on the outside. But different on the inside. He made restitution fourfold. He gave up his job. He didn't do that anymore. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. But the Pharisees, they were watching the whole thing, and they were not happy. Why? Because they didn't like Zacchaeus. Because why? He was working for Rome. They not only did not believe that he could be saved, they didn't think he should be saved. They'd rather see him judged, condemned, and damned. And when they saw Jesus... Hanging out with him, they weren't happy about it. But look what Jesus said. Verse 9 in uh, Luke 19. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. As the Father has sent me, what? So send I you. Shouldn't we be out there seeking the undesirable? Why is it that, and, and listen, you think I'm setting myself over here as a great paragon of virtue on this? I'm not. I get just as uncomfortable as you do with the idea of <coughs> rubbing elbows or, you know, um, hobnobbing or associating with certain elements of society. And I stand here today ashamed that you can say that. But I think that's human nature. But that's not God's nature. And what do we have inside of us? We are partakers of the divine nature. We're to go and seek and save that which was lost. How many remember the story? And on Wednesday night, sometime in February, we're going to be looking at this passage. But Jesus and the disciples were going to go down through Samaria. Remember that? Not the same time as John 4, different occasion. And they were going down. And Samaria sent out a delegation. We don't want you coming in here. And they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and his entourage. His apostolic entourage. <laughs> we don't want you here. And John and James, the sons of thunder, John, who we know as the apostle of love, guess what his bright idea was? Lord, you want us to come down, command fire to come down from heaven and burn them all up? We'll make this whole place a great smoking crater. That's what Elijah did, Lord. You want us to do that? That's the apostle of love. Is that the kind of heart the Lord Jesus Christ has? Was that his response? No. What did he say? He said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. We're so quick to judge other people's sins, don't we? Whether they're drug addicts or homosexuals or abusers or uh, pedophiles. I'm trying to think of some of the worst of society here now. And our attitude? Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven? That's kind of what we want to do. Because it's easier to do that than engage them. It's easier to do that than to offer them the water of life. But may I remind you, I remind myself every day, I haven't forgotten. Peter talks about those who forget that they've been cleansed from their old sins. I haven't forgotten mine. I relive my salvation every day. I think about that. It's been 40, what year is this? <laughs> 48 years coming up this summer that I was lost. And I was dead. I was on my way to hell. 
And I was addicted to alcohol and sin and all that that brings along with it. 18 years old. I loved it. Until God opened my eyes to go into a church that taught the Bible. And the Word of God opened my eyes and the Spirit of God gave me illumination and He convicted me of my sin. And I trusted in Jesus. I've never, I've never gotten over that. I don't want to get over it. I can drive down the highway and think about that, relive that, and tears run down my cheeks. So how in the world can I feel like calling fire down on a sinner when God didn't call fire down on me? John would have. John would have said, Lord, look at that kid. Look at the way he talks, the way he thinks, the things he reads, the movies he goes to, what he does late at night, people he runs with, the way he treats his mother, and all blah, 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 blah. You want us to call down fire from heaven? We'll make him a walking, talking cinder. No. God, boy, he, he shed something abroad on me, all right. He poured out on me the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the power of God. Changed me, made me different like he did for you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. There's other things we could look at. One thing Jesus did say this, he said this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. All right? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He has not sent us to be served. Now, we might be think we're princes and princesses of God, and we are. We are a royal priesthood. The Scriptures tell us no, no question about that. We're sons and daughters of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And as the Father has sent me, so send I you. All of us should be servants looking for opportunities. Opportunities here at Cornerstone and wherever God has placed us. Lord, how can I serve? And, he said, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That is sacrificial service. It's not that we simply, well, when I have enough time left over, when I've done all the things I want to do, when my dreams are fulfilled and my hobbies are taken care of and I've got all the things I want to do, whatever time I have left over, okay, I'll serve on that committee. Yeah, I'll serve on that team. Yeah, I'll teach that class. I'll make that visit. I'll go to the hospital. I'll go to the nursing home. Yeah, when I, you know, when I get everything. No, no, no. That's not leftover. That'll be the first fruits we offer the Lord. Because as the Father has sent him, so he has sent us to give sacrificial service to him. And then whatever time's left over, 
we can give to our hobbies and our enjoyments and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, could, I, I promise you, folks, I could go on the rest of the day on that, but we've got to move on. I want to look at the second thing. This is so important. Going back to, uh, to John, 9, uh, John 20. Jesus said in verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So we are sent on a mission to replicate the life of Jesus Christ on earth. But notice this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why did he do that? You know why? Because you can't do number one without number two. In order to replicate the life of Jesus Christ on earth, you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the life of Christ in us. That's the power. That's the wherewithal. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. <coughs> in fact, apart from the Holy Spirit, you won't even have the desire to do it. Because in my flesh, that Paul said, dwells what? No good thing. Any good in you? Any good in me? Has been placed there by the grace and power of God. So let's not repent ourselves in my heart. I so, man, I'm such a good Christian. <laughs> I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm giving this. I'm giving that. No, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit in you. So you say, Lord, I praise you for what I'm doing. Lord, I thank you. I wrote that check this morning. I can't believe it was for that much. Wow. How am I going to make the house payment next month? That's okay, Lord. You're going to meet my need. I, I just, I'm, I'm so thankful. That I wrote that check. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the class I'm going to teach today. And I'm so thankful for the meeting to do to tomorrow night. I'm so thankful. And, and just thank God for all the ways you're serving him. Because it's not you, it's him in you. Interesting thing about verse 22, by the way. <coughs> it says, he breathed on them. That kind of reminds me of a Genesis chapter 2. Where it says that God breathed into Adam. The breath of life, he became a living soul. There's the life and power of God. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's in the imperative. Receive the Holy Spirit. But the word receive is better translated, take the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the same word you find at the Last Supper where he said, take and eat. Talked about the bread and the wine. Take and eat. Take and drink. Take the cup, take the bread, take it, receive it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act. What is this about this thing in my ear? Pastor, I said last time your ears are bigger than mine. I don't think that's the case. I think my neck's just too short. Take the Spirit. We are to take it. We are to receive it. You see, desire precedes possession. Pastor preached several months ago from Ephesians 5, 18. Be not drunk with wine. What? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
you ask him. First thing. Lord, I want to, Lord, fill me. You commanded me to be filled. Now, Lord, please, I want to be filled. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? We were looking in uh, Luke chapter 3 on a Wednesday night a while back. The baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us how he was baptized and he, he, and he, was, he came up and he was praying. Luke, Luke 3 says, as he came up, he was praying. And as he was praying, the heavens were open and the Spirit came down like a dove and lighted on him. And I'm thinking, what was he praying? I think he was praying for the Lord to bring the Spirit upon him. Because that was his anointing. He was the Messiah. And Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me that I might preach the acceptable year of the Lord. One of the signs of the Messiah was that the Spirit of God would anoint him. And he was praying for God to fulfill his word and to anoint him with the Holy Spirit. And he did. So when he said, take the Holy Spirit. You have to take, make the effort, take the effort, reach out. You've got to have the desire. You've got to have the compassion or the passion. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. And then it's interesting. Very interesting. He says in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. See, we are sent on a mission. We are sent with power, but we're sent with authority. And only God has the right and the authority to forgive sins. We can't forgive sins. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about validation. When you're sharing the gospel or somebody's coming to you and making inquiry about their sins, about forgiveness, about knowing Christ. And they come to you and they say, well, and you tell them, well, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you explain the gospel. The atoning death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection from the dead. You explain that, how they need to, to believe on that and how all of their sins were paid for by Christ. And when they tell you, I believe that. I have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ. I've asked him to be my Lord and Savior. Then you are authorized on the basis of the word of God to simply say, then you've been forgiven. In fact, the scripture says that this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God has not life. That's the record. That's the testimony. That's the truth. And what a great joy it is to know that I can go into all the world and replicate the life of Jesus Christ. I can demonstrate the heart of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the tenderness of God, the holiness of God. I can demonstrate all of that through my life as Jesus Christ lives his life through me. Because what he began to do, he continues to do through me.
and through you. And has given me the power of the Holy Spirit with which to do it. And I can validate the validity, the authenticity of the gospel. I was a young preacher in my third church. I was 28 years old. You thought you knew so much at 28, didn't we, Pastor? I get a phone call from a social worker in Bishopville, South Carolina. I still to this day don't know why she called me or where she got my number. We were not one of the leading churches in town. We weren't even in town. We're 20 miles outside in the country. She said, I got an old woman here. She's dying. And she's crying. She wants to talk to a preacher. She's she wants peace, but she's dying. She's on a hospital bed in her living room. Would you come and talk to her? I said, well, of course. Then I jumped in my car, 76, five-speed Pinto. <laughs> Candy apple red. No air conditioning, no radio in South Carolina in the summer. I got that old house, went in. There's this old black woman. Shriveled up from age and pain and sickness in a hospital bed. Her cheeks looked like they were permanently stained from tears. I remember seeing the tracks. And I held her by the hand. I said, ma'am, I said, what can I do for you? I said, I'm Preacher Graston. And then she told me a story I've never heard topped before. Turns out when she was a teenage girl, 50, 60, 70 years earlier, she had given birth to a baby, but she was ashamed because she wasn't married. She was a teenager, and she killed that baby, and she buried it in a field there in Lee County, South Carolina, and she cried. She said, I'm getting ready to die. I'm going to see that baby. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm scared. I can't die. I can't die. So I gave her the gospel. And I asked her, I said, do you know about Jesus? She said, I know about Jesus. I said, what did he do for you? She said, he died on the cross. I said, did he die for you? I said, yes, he died for me. Do you believe he died for you? I believe he died for me. Is he your Lord and Savior? Yes, Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior. I said, you're not trusting anything else? She never even opened her eyes, I remember. And I said to her, I said, Sister, God's forgiven you. God's forgiven you. When you get to heaven, you can hold that baby. She'll be grown. You'll be reconciled. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. I could validate her faith and her salvation and her forgiveness. She died the next day. You know what that social worker told me a couple of days later? She never cried again. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. 
Father, um, going is awesome. But it is far more than simply sharing the four spiritual laws or sharing our faith. It's demonstrating living out in the hard things, living out in the crucible, the life of Jesus Christ. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, so should we be. So speak to our hearts today, Heavenly Father. And as we sing the song and fill his place, if we have a decision to make, we just want to come and say, Lord, I just, I want to replicate your life on earth. I want to demonstrate the reality of Jesus Christ in me. I want to touch a world that needs the grace and goodness, mercy, love, and compassion of God. I want to show sinners that God loves them. I want to lay down my rocks and extend my hands. We pray it all in Jesus' name. You come as...